was the time of the podcast in the year of 23. If you don't like this grab bag, you can blame it on me. And welcome to Thunderdome Metal Reviews, where we are doing our third perfect non-metal albums for metalheads, which is the thing I came up with, and we're beating it into the ground. I'm Ben, with me are David, Tracy, and Gabe. How is everyone doing tonight? It's time of the preacher. Indeed. I am the Reverend for a reason. I'm just, uh, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep my hands on the wheel because I don't know what's going to happen tonight. This is some of the most random shit that has ever happened. Yeah. Let's, why don't you explain the premise, Ben, before we even <laughs> begin to try and dissect how this disaster occurred? Like, what? <laughs> Yeah, in case you're new here, which this will be the most random ass episode. Ooh, bad choice. To, uh, yeah, I decided to, to for this this the fifth year of our podcast and the fifth year of our podcast um, to 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 uh, just like you know most people don't just start out listening to metal. Um, they usually come into it from listening to something else, and I thought that we would do some grab bags of albums we thought that are definitely not metal that we think metalheads would enjoy. And this is the third iteration of that. And the most eclectic, probably, because it is the third. Like you said, we beat this into the ground. this go around? Yeah. We certainly did. And uh, not to rest on any ceremony, let's just jump into it with my pick for this grab bag, which was The Red-Headed Stranger, the 18th studio album by Willie Nelson, released in May of 1975. Had a runtime of 33 minutes and 30 seconds. It was recorded in Garland, Texas, probably just in a room somewhere, because I don't think it was a recording studio. Uh, produced by Willie Nelson, released on Columbia. The personnel on this album are Willie Nelson, vocals and guitar, Paul English on drums, Jody Payne on guitars and mandolin, Dee Spears on bass, Bobby Nelson on piano, Mickey Raphael on harmonica, Bucky Meadows on guitar, and Billy English also on drums. It's like a damn saloon piano. Yeah, it's it's very stripped down for a country album from 1975. Yeah, and that was kind of the, um, the the point, really, is that, and this is the album that is often, or one of the albums, perhaps not the album that is is often credited for kicking off the quote unquote outlaw country music phase, yeah, which totally. was really just a rejection of the over produced and um, very commercial poppy Nashville sound, which I will add parenthetically does sound amazing. But like when everything is coming out sounding like that, I can, I can see the rejection of it. No, totally. Swimming pool shaped like fucking guitars, man. I went to an exhibit at the Frist showing that era, like Dolly's yeah. mm -hmm. anti-gravity RV with a hundred TVs inside. I mean, even Dolly, wow. I think yeah. fell prey to it uh, until later returning to a stripped down sound like this. But I yeah. think she does that later. I feel like that's maybe 80s or even 90s when she yeah. revisits this kind of, you know, outlaw country, just shoot you in the neck and ride off ethos that we get here. Yeah. There are no, there are yeah. no frills here. No fucks the, uh, given. The shoot a cop on principal frills that's got going on. Just <laughs> someone had to. This, it's almost like interesting to see, like, hearing this album now and also seeing kind of what, from a very outside perspective, perspective at least for me of what country's been since about 2015 2016 where you're seeing also kind of this way to much more stripped down country and losing some of that i'm gonna say uh pop country florida georgia lineness 
Yeah. So, I mean, and I could really get into this, but nobody who's listening to this probably cares because um, you go from the Nashville sound to a kind of uh, country politan or Nashville politan uh, sound that is kind of the same thing, which was like very big in the 80s. Think Conway Twitty and that kind of thing, although he had some of the Nashville sound in his early recordings. If you want to get more into all of that, I, I suggest that you go listen to Cocaine and Rhinestones, which is by, oh shit, I'm going to blank on his name. It is David Allen Coe's son, who played in David Allen Coe's band for a long time. And anyway, he does amazing research, and I, I apologize that I can't think of his name at the Tyler, moment. But yes, Tyler, Tyler Mayhan, Mayhan Coe, thank you for looking that up. And he like does incredible research on the stories that, as he himself would say, he's heard his whole life and goes into really great long form uh, music history podcasts on these topics. But um, yeah, that's not what we're here to talk about necessarily. Although I can talk more about the history of this album if people want. Um, but I chose this because thematically, what is this album about? And if you haven't listened to it, it is about a preacher whose wife winds up cheating on him. He kills them both. Then kills another woman for trying to steal his horse and finds love and redemption. So it is the all American tale of a man killing three people because he was jilted, but finding redemption anyway. I mean, you got the good old Southern Baptist gospel right in the smack in the middle of it too. That's just all about forgiveness going on too. Well, so, it's I mean, the it mythic just, American West. That it fits perfectly. <laughs> the mythic American West. The most celebrated of the rehabilitated. He mm. just, yeah, no, it's the it's the American story, right? It's 1901, <laughs> Jesse yeah. James adjacent. Yeah, sure is. Right, sure the is. frontier's closed, but not entirely. Mm-hmm. So where was where was this guy? Where was Willie Nelson when King Diamond was trying to come up with some horror stories? Man, that would have been that would have been great. What a great story. You know what I mean? I think so. So I've never listened to Willie Nelson before, but I've of course you know I've seen who he is and kind of you know recognize that people think he's a legend. And I got to say, I was really um, I was taken by his voice on this album. I was taken by, you know, the sound of the guitar, which is just like super, super clean and pristine. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I even kind of felt tugged a little bit by like the saloon piano kind of stuff. It's like by the by side B, you're like sitting in the bottom of your whiskey glass. Like it's that kind (laughs) of album, like really just takes you down. But um I I had no idea what to expect, but I also like um, other than the content, Ben, I just want to I wonder, like, what would draw a metalhead to this? Like, I don't I don't really see too many angles. And there's like it, it is for for all the violence and sort of the mayhem, right, that the story brings. It's not a super raucous album. Like, it's a very, it's very low that. key. Yeah. Uh, laid back, if not like sort of depressed and resigned sort of album maybe that just has to do with like okay this is like fate or this is the way that you know stuff plays out in real life (laughs) with like people dying and uh you know twists of fate that have no risk you know they don't have any resemblance to the the gospel where like you know people are Mm -hmm. redeemed because they do good um but i don't know maybe you can maybe maybe we can all figure it out well my my response to that would be one thing i think that it like if you're listening to Slayer, other than you're, you're probably not going to be super into this. It would be a hard leap. Um, although it's, it is one that I kind of made uh, as we've talked about in the past. But I think if you're into like Paradise Lost or some of the more gothic or sludgy things, then like just the down, not necessarily the down templeness, but just the gloom of the l- lyrics that you're talking about would be a touch point. Um, and then I also think that 
his guitar playing um, is a point of entry. It's definitely not super shreddery, especially on this album, but like it is very good and it has um, a slight jazz feel. So I think that people who are into the more technical aspects of metal and really worship at the altar of guitar would find something here. I can kind of see that. And also agree with you definitely saying about like the doomier side of aspects because this shit is depressing. Doom loves its depressing, depressing feelings as well. So like I can see them two very cohabiting very closely in someone's mind and not made a very far leap for that, especially depending on like where they are in the doom spectrum. I guess if I mean if you're dealing more in like the death doom, I don't know if this would be a very far leap for somebody like Candlemass to kind of get into because it's kind of does have like that epic story now tailing along with it to go along with it. So maybe something similar. Or you know, Devil Driver fans and like, oh <laughs> they did a cover of Will and Elsa song on that Outlaw Country album. Let's try this. Well, sure. I mean, I think that is the other aspect. I think if you are somebody who grew up in a region where this would have been played a lot, like I did, because that's how I first heard it, because my dad was a huge Willie Nelson fan. So he played not necessarily this album, but he played Willie Nelson all the time. So Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain, which is not a Willie Nelson original, which is on this album, but it was his first number one hit, still gets played all the time today. Um, so it's, it's like a familiarity, kind of like the way, not to get too meta, I guess, or to... You know, the way that Willie used gospel music on this album to kind of help advance the story along. Yeah. And I think that almost goes hand in hand with country aspects of two. I think the gospel aspects to kind of really play into it, kind of push stuff along with it. I thought the mayhem was sufficient to convince some metalheads to get on the ride. I mean, I got off the Slayer ride and got on this ride, and I'm still on this ride. I will concede that my wife's deep worship of the church of dolly has created i think a pathway for this especially since a lot of what she likes is the more stripped down stuff that's sort of like mm -hmm. this i think so our lord and savior dolly parton uh yeah i i've not listened to a ton of willie nelson either i associate him with like playing with the muppets and like you know <laughs> he's smoking some reefer and it's funny mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. he's, he's immortal. You know, I don't know. He's just, he's always been, he's just, he's a pillar of the community. But so this is the first time I've ever spun one of his albums repeatedly. It helped that I could play this around civilians. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, listen, it's Willie Nelson. Cause you know, not, not shockingly Livingston County looking at you, Ben and my father-in-law's upbringing. I mean, this was, this was our Lord and savior, Willie Nelson. He's really important there. Um, I know. See what you did there. I just want to, and this is apropos of nothing really, other than like your comment about the eternity, eternalness of Willie Nelson. Mm -hmm. um, he had an album that came out last month, September, which was his 74th solo studio album. Stop. Stop. That's what? Wow. Jesus. <laughs> 74th solo studio album. King Diamond just explodes. <laughs> <laughs> That's not counting live albums. That's not counting fucking compilations or groove albums that he participated oh, in. It's God like, damn Jesus Christ. Yeah, it, this dude is living that lifestyle out on the road somewhere right now. Him and Dolly, man. Yep. How old is he? Uh, 90-something. 90, 90 99, maybe 93, somewhere between 93 and 99. He's right know. at 90. So he's been releasing an album a year since he was 16, on average. <laughs> on average, yeah. I mean... Well, think about it. The, the album that we're actually talking about came out in 75, and it was this 18th. I know, it's absurd. 
So it's like, my God. What? How does it sound compared to the ones that precede and precede it? Is that a word? No. <laughs> that comes, comes <laughs> post date, post ex. It's, I think the word you're looking for is succeed. Follow, follow, yeah. succeed from the union. The um, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on his discography. Um, I've listened to a lot of it. So, like his earlier stuff is very much in the Nashville sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got strings and overdubs and a lot of big production sure, sure, sure. on it. Um, he really kind of cut his teeth as a songwriter. Um, if you listen to Patsy Cline's Crazy, for example, mm-hmm. that is a song that he wrote. He released a version of it either before or after she did, which sounds remarkably similar other than she's a much better singer than he is. Um, but as far as like the music of it and then he parlayed his success as a songwriter to getting a i think it was a record deal with atlantic in which he was given more control and it was funny um to get out from the nashville sound and the overproduced he actually had to go to a rock label and go out of the nashville office to the new york office to get some creative control he took those two successes and got this Mm -hmm. studio album a studio deal with columbia where he had full creative control and so the other the two previous albums to this, although they are not as much in the Nashville sound, they probably sound more like what we would um, say a country rock album would sound like. And then this comes out and the record label was like, almost didn't want to release it because they thought it was just demos because it's so sparse. But since he had full creative control, he got it pushed through. And the fact that it only cost the label like 20 grand to make also, which granted it's 1974 money, so that's a lot, but... In comparison to some things, I mean, the Bahamas, Jesus Christ, Steve Harris. I mean, this is almost essentially the Mike Patton album with a four track in a hotel room, except it's Willie Nelson with a four track in a hotel room. And just kind of come in, I got this recorded. We just add drums after the fact. Thanks, guys. That's pretty Spartan. It sounds remarkably good. I mean, for that, like, it's just the the production is maybe it's not, you know, top shelf, top of the line with all the bells and whistles, but it sounds. You can hear everything perfectly. It's great. What I think is a little bit off on this, and Ben, you love the runtime on this. It's like, you know, barely, mm-hmm. you know, half an hour here that you're spending with it. I think the track economy is a little off, to be honest, particularly because, and I don't mean to get into tracks here, but you have the time of the preacher coming in like five times on the first side. Uh, there's no need for that. Uh, Willie Nelson's songwriting is basically mostly on the second half of the record. To be to be seen and you know admired, and I think that's a little off. You know, you are telling a story, um, and then you're hearing the same lines repeated over and over. There is a certain effect to that, but also like, where's the beef? Like, I want to, you know, I kind of wish more of it was up front. <clears throat> Sorry, it is ahead, weirdly David. repetitive for a standard album structure. I was really struck, and I often have my stuff on loop, and I was letting it loop, so that confused me even more. I was like. Oh, oh shit. it confused Where the crap the... out of me the first time. I was yeah. like, what's going cool? I was like, what's happening? But yeah, it's, you know, he comes at you over and over, but I assume that's that struck every... me as the way sermons work. Every time the preacher yeah. kills somebody. Well, and it was also like in the story structure meant to, to emphasize the different, bo- well, chapters of the story, I guess. Movements would be more of the musical term. So like there's the beginning, the opening refrain of the time of the preacher where the lessons begun. And then it's the killings begun after when he kills the people and then it's like uh and just when you think it's all over it's only begun which is when the the rest of the story of the redemption arc comes in um so i understand why i did it but i can see that criticism gabe 
And honestly, he has very few writing credits on this. This is very, very covers heavy because you just pulled on stuff that had inspired him as an artist up until this point uh, to make the flesh out the story. You know, uh, he has this thing where he, he does where he'll do record albums. And that's probably why he's been able to record so many albums is every now and again, he'll just record albums that are just covers albums, essentially, because my God, doing 70 four studio albums of all your own material would just be even more insane than doing 74 albums. So I think that that is, uh, I, I see your point. Uh, I know that as the producer, he did it for a reason that I think was more or less successful in, in telling the story, but it is somewhat peculiar. I'm willing to admit. Anything else to say before we jump into tracks? Nothing I can think of. Excellent. Well, get your things ready, gentlemen. All of them. It, it is not hurt by the fact that this is such a short album, but uh, it is a concept album. And I think that to really get what Willie was trying to do with this, you you kind of have to listen to the entire thing. Yeah, I don't know what you would possibly pull off here. I just want to isolate this one murder he commits before he rides off. So I, I would say the whole thing. Uh, yeah. I'm yeah. team all of them as well. Me as well. I mean, it's and it's just 33 minutes go along for the ride. Okay. I mean, I know that you won't get the full story, but I feel like my enjoyment is centered inside B because I think that uh, Denver is one of the best songs in the album. And it's only it's like under a minute long. See, that's yeah. the crazy track economy right there, because that is a really cool song. And it's only one minute um, out of the you know 30 minute record. Um, I also want to shout out. Can I sleep in your arms? Because that's just a wonderful song that he does in a really beautiful um, version, and uh, and basically the rest of the record after that, um, "Remember Me," "Hands on the Wheel," and "Bandera," like I just think that's a killer run. Um, I really don't understand why he has to put "Over the Waves" in there. It's like <laughs> God, it doesn't fit for me. It feels like I'm at a carnival or something, uh, but I guess that's kind of the point. It very well be. All right, so that is out of the way, which brings us to. David's pick, Zomboy's The Outbreak, released on August 4th of 2014. I do not have the runtime in front of me here, but it was released on Never Say Die Records. If somebody else wants to grab the runtime for me. Let's see. 46 minutes and 25 seconds. Thank you. Most of this was, I mean, it's an electronic album. There are uh, Armani Reigns adds some lyrics um, in performance. Um, Must Die does a feature on a couple of tracks, or on a track. Rika also does. But most of this is done by Zomboy. I believe it's given name is Joshua Jenkins. It's Joshua Melody. Oh, okay. But I think Joshua Jenkins, henceforth, will be the DJ that works with Glenn Barnes. And Actually, that is, that is apparently, according to discography, Joshua Melody and Joshua Jenkins are the same person. So That makes it even more confusing. Fair enough. J- Jenkins yeah. Melody hyphenated. Yeah. From Penzance Cornwall. It is very British. So British, man. Pen- the Pirates of Penzance. Mm. So I picked this because I had not done an EDM or an electronic thing. And this is more up-tempo than Willie Nelson. It is. 100%. Uh, and, you know, I was an early adopter of dubstep, even pre-Skrillex. But it could at times be somewhat grating, and I felt needed some fire discipline. And so this has that. So this has some of the same screechy, scrunchy, you're being crushed by robots or zombies thing that 
a lot of the early dubstep have, but it's a little bit more four on the floor. And I listened to an enormous amount of this. It was born slightly before my daughter in a knife party, which is the other one I almost picked. And I just, you know, up. I mean, there was no night, essentially. And so I had like this in my headphones, just like, well, it's 3 a.m., just going to be up now. And so uh, I associate this with endless nights of not actually sleeping and try to protect a tiny human from the world. So, you know, that obviously ups the ups the stakes, I guess. I suspect that almost everybody else who listens to this also associated with that, but not in that context. Yeah. And then, oh, also it got a ton of spins because viral apocalypse happened. So then that occurred. <laughs> Obviously this album is 14 and then in 20, I'm like, oh no. And so I spun it more again, harder. So it had two lives with me, I think. And so it's one of my go-tos. And EDM isn't a genre that necessarily puts out a lot of albums, actually. Right? It really is single and EP-driven. Um, some of my favorite artists don't have ever put out an LP at all. But um, this one is an LP, and so it is here, because that is what we do. So for those reasons, I gave you Zomboy, and hope you enjoyed it some. I know there's a lot of bleeps and bloops, but maybe Gabe can take it when it's all bleeps and bloops. Not secret clandestine bleeps and bloops you yeah, smuggled in. I mean, I like I like some of those for sure. I think it also might help that it is not all the same kind of bleeps and bloops, uh, mm-hmm. which you know can run together or you know just be monotonous or something like that. So yeah, I did enjoy some of it for sure. I'm trying to figure out what exactly my problem is with it um, because there is some your problem with it, man. There, there is a there is sort of a problem with it because because you know sometimes you can listen to electronic music and it can just repeat itself over and over and you can kind of get into it and it's kind of like you're you want that kind of thing when you're at a club or if you're dancing or something like that and you want it to keep you going but in other contexts maybe you have to be like doing something or you have to be like trying to do something in order for it to give you the same kind of feedback if that makes sense. So I guess like, you know, sometimes I felt like this would work if I were in a club, but sometimes I was just like, even if I were in a club, I'm not sure if I would find this cool or danceable. You fucking would if Wesley Snipes were cutting vampires apart around you. Well, again, it's a context thing, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) You got has blood sprinklers as well. Yeah. I mean, I just know I wasn't really on enough ecstasy to really get into it. Well, there's that. That is another kind of context, and I'm sure we could talk more about the uh, pharmacology of the various albums. And uh, yeah, for sure, every <laughs> sure. um, yeah. single one of them. Was the yeah. brain chemistry maybe was a little bit off for me, but also like there is stuff here that I can hook onto. Like there is some kind of dubstepy type stuff that I'm into, and although I'm not like deep deep into the genre like you, I mean, uh, I can often get into stuff that sounds like um, sounds like this. This is what I listened to before metal. So this is probably the oldest genre. The oldest genre of all is fucking pop because that's what was on the radio. But uh, in terms of stuff that I myself picked and found, it was this one first. Because yeah. the 90s, I guess. This is time for sprockets when we dance. I mean, this is what we were doing. I think, you know, to Gabe's point, one of my problems with this is the format. I think this would have worked better as EP. Because some of these tracks are really, really good. And so there's an unevenness to it as a full EP. It's the only one he ever put out. All the other shows EPs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I was looking at like so he knows too. Day, you know, and um, 
Well, I'm not surprised because I've, I've never been anywhere near as into dubstep or electronica or any of this as David. Um, and a lot of what I've listened to is it's because of him. So I thank you for that. Sure. But, um, you know, looking at like where his stuff is charted, his EP, I mean, he did have something else that also reached number three in the U.S. charts, but he had an EP that like came out two releases before this it hit number three in the u.s mm-hmm. you know and this one didn't even chart so not that that means anything um i just thought it was interesting to bring it up that showing that that progression and how to back up david's point how much electronica slash dubstep all that stuff is driven by single tracks it really is and the club scene, no, it has, yes. it has just a, a very different rhythm than what we usually are talking about. And you know that meant, in some ways, it really thrived. I think in the era of Napster, when it took an hour to download a song, and obviously bandwidth got better, and that all changed. But it, it yeah, it wasn't I, as album driven, unless you were I Moby. Yeah, unless you're Moby, you're not really cranking out album length things. But this is an album length thing, and. Here we are. What did you think, Tracy? I don't think like you've said much. I haven't said much. And EDM is a very weird genre, I guess, for me, because it is very bleepy blarpy. And so like I've noticed whenever I do listen to techno or EDM, what I like, I like, but what I don't like, I do not fucking like. It's a very yes or no for me. There's not like, oh, this is just okay. I mean, I can listen to it occasionally. It's either I like it or don't. And so it's a very and this album does a lot. I mean, there are some Matt tracks I grew up in. There's some tracks that aren't quite that good, but there's like, I think you could have probably had a very, very solid EP with it if you would have done that on the specific tracks. But I didn't care much for the vocal stuff. Like that, the stuff that had more singing stuff is the stuff I kind of stepped away from. So oh, interesting. Like, sure. But I mean, it was pretty solid overall. I mean, I'll probably come back to the album again, but if it had been EP, this would have probably been an A, not like a, a low A kind of situation. Well, I feel like it's evidence that this is non-metal music for a metalhead, and he didn't immediately fail it. So there, that's my evidence. <laughs> my evidence is Tracy. And it's, I think, part of the way this is, you know, a metal can get into this. It's, it's relatively fast-paced. It's got some moments, but I mean... I feel like you're going to have a hard subset of like, here's a thrash fan. Mom, I listen to this. Like, I think that might be a hard week for them. Now, somebody like me who's more into prog elements and stuff could probably, it's probably easier. Sure. More The bleepy blarpy is. I mean, there's people that love KMFTM. I'm, I'm, I am those people, but I'm just saying there's a whole bunch of metal that you don't often like as much, Tracy, but yeah, that over, and that you are totally allowed, but it overlaps with this more. It's one of the reasons I like it. We haven't actually, we haven't done a, we've done one KMFDM album, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, that new, the new release or whatever last year. Anyway, I think that was when it was from, uh, yeah, and apparently, and I, I, I'm not this guy's biographer, but, um, apparently he cut his teeth playing drums and metal bands and stuff like that. So he certainly has his sensibilities. And you can see uh-huh. that in the uh, song composition, I think. Yeah, I feel that way too. Yeah, no, there's definitely some overtones, some crossover that came from it. I guess from out of that background, like the intensity of it and the, some of the spooky, scary and the way percussion is used on here, which is different than Skrillex. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as annoying as that. I, I, I've heard a little bit of that and it's just like, I feel like that's where dubstep gets to a point where it's just Indeed. all about the, <laughs> it's all about the bass drop and not really a lot about anything else, which 
you know, some people like that, but uh, your mileage is going to vary. My, um, my feeling also is that I don't really have a lot of context for this. Like, I don't know what other people are doing in this particular, you know, area. I don't know whether he's doing anything new. I don't know whether he's doing anything interesting. And I also don't know who's listening to the album front to back, because as you said, and as uh, sort of Ben was alluding to with the comment about EP is like, are you going to listen to this front to back? Really? If you're listening to it, no, but I mean, let's say you, you are, um, I mean, even if you are a Zomboy fan, are you going to like take that track that you like and put it in a playlist with other stuff? Or are you going to, you know what I mean? It's hard to know because, you know, the, the audience we're trying to think about is metalheads and metalheads are going to want to do the album because the album is kind of a ingrained in metal culture as like the, the pinnacle. It's not the single, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not necessarily the EP, it's the album. So yeah, those are things I have questions and no answers for. We just clockwork orange all metal fans to make them watch this strapped down. Yeah. I don't know, man. But I, you know, Tracy likes it. So that proves to me that a hundred percent of the people on this call that only listen to metal thought this was definitely <laughs> certified okay. I don't I don't listen to only metal as my opinion. Yeah, he listens to video game soundtracks. Come on. Yeah, oh that's not say that's the crossover is this is a oh, man. video game soundtracky thing. <laughs> Indeed. Sorry, Tracy, that was a low blow. I like what I like. Strong Eat. men also cry. <laughs> <laughs> that we oh, man. Is it tracks time? I don't know. <laughs> I think so. I feel like it probably is. David, you want to start us off? It's, it's your, uh... Yeah, sure. Hold on. I'm trying to get out of this vaporwave your, your <laughs> journey <laughs> that Gabe sent me on. Here we go. <laughs> I mean, I didn't need to look at them to say basically just about all of them. So I'll just yeah. go ahead and do that. But I think Nuclear doesn't open as hard as Outbreak does. Outbreak, that song is so fucking hard. Armani Rain makes a living being on awesome other people's songs that are awesome. There's a number <laughs> of other songs. That I'm like, oh, it's fucking Armani Rain. Anyway, I think that and Airborne are bad as shit. Like that sort of beginning bit. And I really like Patient Zero. Survivors and Patient Zero are pretty awesome. But anyway, I spin this whole thing. It's only 46 minutes. I'm up anyway. My kid is shrieking at me. I just put my headphones on, and suddenly I'm transported to a world in which, I don't know, I'm breaking the necks of zombies or being eaten, I guess. I've probably been eaten by the end of this album. But I obviously like it. So there, so there you have it. I do, I pulled off out here in Nuclear, Airborne, um, What the Fuck, Skull and Bones and Immunity. Those are the five I pulled off here. The rest of them, like I did not care for the Amarni Rain, the Must Die, the the Rika. I did not care for any no, of those. You didn't want singing. These are not no. or, or lyrics. These are not songs for you. Rejected. No. But you don't like hip hop that much, right? No, which is actually interesting because for a long time, prior up until like about a month ago, I actually had a Tech Nine album in here. For this week, for this black guy bag. Oh, and well. then at the last minute, I was like, you know, I really don't listen to a lot of rap. I listened to a little bit. And I was like, but I listened to like, we haven't done this. And so I picked an orchestral album just to kind of like, this is sure. what I want to go with, just to more so because there's something that hadn't been done. Kind of bleeding into what we're going to talk about next. Well, I will put more hip hop in there because I listened to a good amount of hip hop. Didn't you do a hip hop album? Did we do one? Yes. Yeah, I made us do the Dykekent one. 
Oh yeah. Uh, I, was trying to get, I was trying to get a twofer. I was trying to get like a global thing and a hip hop thing. Next time, like I'll, next time I'll do either Roots or Public Enemy. Duzak the Nuss. Fair, and, fair yeah. indeed. I think that Armani, uh, the Armani Rain one is actually pretty, pretty good. And I thought that Beast in the Belly and Skull and Bones, and even you know what the what the fuck are okay. Airborne just reminds me of Bargain Basement Daft Punk. <laughs> and the and the rest of it I don't really know what to do with because it doesn't sound super like I don't know new to me or I don't know it's sort of I can't say that I listen to a lot of this stuff but it just sounds generic in a way but it's just me being ignorant probably so ignorant Gabe yeah yeah I don't know I listen to a lot of this genre of music and in intense spurts indeed before the podcast i was probably listening to more of this music than metal and i i like what he achieves it's i don't know all of it's a little bit derivative of the rest of it but i don't know yeah it's very subjective uh, and his output has been pretty consistent over time because it's just like ep ep um, i don't think any of those aren't at least certified okay i think all of them are pretty good actually Mm-hmm. Oh, shit, there's a ton of phones scrolling through them. Archangel. And he plays around more. As you move forward, he does some other shit. Valley of Violence. That song's fucking badass. Archangel. Anyway, it's good shit. It's good shit. But I know I'm about the only one of the people of the four of us that listen to this genre with any regularity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll listen to it occasionally, but nope. Nope. Robin will veto a song if it doesn't have singing. She's like, are there lyrics in the song? There better be fucking lyrics. Like, if there's no singing or lyrics at all, she's like, what are we doing? So, so Tracy, I have to lean into those kinds of songs. Mm-hmm. But do you just, like, sing over it so that she, <laughs> like, you play it? <laughs> I just add, that's, like, oh, here's the vocal good. part right here. Oh, here, let me, let me bust a rhyme. I just bust out some hip-hop over what is actually an instrumental track, but then she discovers it's like Millie Vanelli. I drink liquid and she realizes like no, this shit is fake. Totes fake. Fake lyrics. What the what the what the fuck? So is it my turn? It is your turn. So I'm going to disagree with David and then definitely not all of them. Although I do think that Outbreak and Airborne are really good. And Survivors and Patient Zero, I also enjoyed. Which brings us to Tracy's pick. The the most controversial tonight, probably. Well, we'll, we'll find out. Um, yeah. It is the Frostpunk original soundtrack by Piotr Musil. It was released in 2018. It is a video game soundtrack, as you could probably tell. It was all composed by Piotr Musil, and it was performed by the Autumn String Quartet and Sophia Sessions Orchestra. And what is the runtime on that, Tracy? Runtime on it comes in at a brisk 44 minutes and 20 seconds. Brisk wave and two-tongue cheek. Yeah. <laughs> so. Atmospherically brisk, too. So I chose this because originally I had a Tech 9 album, like I said earlier, in this spot until like a month ago. I was like, you know what? We haven't done any orchestral. So what well, sounds good? And I had, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go with Frostpunk because it's something I've heard a lot of. It's relatively short. And I feel like it really does a good job of like setting a very tense mood and environment. And I was like, maybe let's see how let's see how the gang reacts to it and see what their thoughts are. 
when do you listen to this? It plays in the background the entire time you're playing. No, no, but but is, is that's the only way you interact with it. That's what with I'm saying. With the soundtrack, yes. Uh, the okay, so that's what I was asking you. Do you just like spin this? Oh, um, in a situation that is not the video game. No, okay. It's it's just pooping music. Occasion, I have a couple <laughs> of times. Like I did, like under when I I drove, like when I was driving, I was like, do I want to do this? I'm like, yeah. But I mean, I've heard this so much that like visually in my mind when I hear something, I'm like, oh, I remember this particular time this was playing when this happened kind of deal. Like I have fragments of a gameplay in my head when I hear songs kind of doing mm. it. But to set the stage a little bit, because I feel like it kind of needs to be known to really embrace the coldness that this album represents is trying to go for is like late 19th century. The earth pretty much turns into snowball earth. Yay. And thanks so, Krakatoa. <laughs> and It's never fully explained in the game. Like it gives you like leading scientific theories up to that point. They just know the earth, the the temperature plummeted rapidly. And so the plan is because a 19th century, late 19th century, coal deposits were in the north. So they built these massive steam powered generators for heat and software. And then like as you play through the multiple different games and it's played like for most people like SimCity, but Frozen Apocalypse, SimCity. Yep. It's pretty intense. There's been Luther moments like I'd beat a mission, just like, fuck. <laughs> it's fun. Poles, man. It's it's Poles. not mis- it's it's Poles. fun. It's a very good turn my brain off and just kind of go. Hmm. <laughs> so Ben has complained many times, like this is like a soundtrack to a thing I haven't seen. And so this is literally this is literally the soundtrack to the thing that I haven't played, and but I will consider this more successful than most of that stuff. And that this was actually made to be a soundtrack to an actual thing, and they don't bother fucking it up with words. You know, this is not something that I would put on and just listen to normally, but like it does do the. Peter Musial is a a good composer, and he does the job and like composing things that match. This is more atmospheric than most atmospheric black metal albums. So mission accomplished. Are there are there times that I could see? Because I'm never going to play this video game because I'm not a video game player. But you know, I do play role playing games and some tabletop stuff, like board games and stuff. And I think that this would be a nice soundtrack to put on behind some of that, even. Um, so it, I think it does have its uses. I just don't know. This is one of those things where. Unless you are, and you know, there are a lot of metalheads who are gamers, that it hooks you that way and maybe pulls you in. And when listening to this, I couldn't help but think of Glenn Danzig, because Glenn Danzig has released two orchestral albums, Black Aria 1 and 2. And in a lot of ways, I mean, I love Black Aria 1. We might have to repeat that at some point. Um, and I thought that was much more successful Maybe because it was a known commodity than this, because I mean, otherwise, I really don't couldn't tell you what the difference was necessarily. So I don't know. Anyway, I just rambling because I don't know what to say about it. I mean, this is unrepentantly bleak. There's no like the thing I think it suffers from just by the nature of what it's trying to do is sort of sameness. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, like, it does have that. Well, I know, like fans obviously listen to it outside of the, the game, but it doesn't have that, like, it doesn't, it's at, meant to add on, not to meant to detract from the video game itself. Like, you don't want it, 
be blazingly distracting while trying to play like oh all this shit's going on yeah well see that's the thing i think that you know the soundtrack is really not meant to stand on its own however much it might be able to after the fact like you know you said that if you hear this um it kind of takes you back to a certain place when you were playing the problem is that if you haven't had that experience there's nothing really to grab onto and it also is you know, for lack of a better term, kind of innocuous. I mean, it is, you know, bleak, but it's like a lot of the same. And there's no other place to go really from there. Like there isn't, I mean, there may not in the game either be a moment of redemption or anything like Uh sort of respite from that. But because of that, there's no real like huge dynamics. Does that make sense? Like I, Uh I might also... You know, I listened to this a few times, but I really am not confident in my ability to really pinpoint what happens where yeah. in this because it, I know what you're saying. it's not that it, it, I mean, it is roughly the same instrumentation throughout, but it's also like not a whole lot of dynamic range and not a whole lot of like variation. Like the tempo doesn't get too fast and it stays roughly in the same area. I couldn't even tell you if it goes to three, if it's in four all the time, mm. if it's like, so that tell that is sort of like, I'm not sure if someone would be into this if they're in, interested in like those kinds of changes, right? Or they're interested in like the story because the story is really found in the game, right? Yeah. So it, it's very cute or miss. Like it's, it's very like some of it's expressively stated, but a lot of it like, one aspect of the gameplay is you send out scouts kind of go searching the area around you and you'll find like abandoned camps. Like you'll find mass graves of frozen bodies or just like this camp where like they just froze to death and just have like, you know, the little story tidbits here and there. I think Gabe hit on something that I was trying to articulate, but couldn't. And that it seems like these being different tracks is kind of arbitrary. It really feels like it all could be one movement. Yeah, definitely. And like, you can definitely tell like this thing, I think it selects the tracks on random when you're playing a game, like, but you, I recognize the tracks. Like if I hear a couple seconds, you're like, okay, I know this one is this one and kind of where it leads to just from cheer. I think some, like I really started playing this in 2021 is when I got it. And I probably put close to 60 to 80 hours in a couple, six month time period into it kind of deal. And so like, yeah, definitely. Like, I've got the experience of playing it. And I think part of the talk about the bleakness of it and like redemption of it, sort of like you have the moment, like it all builds up to this great storm that just like, do you survive the storm? The cataclysms all, but also you're able to choose like laws that your civilization or your city takes place in. And there's always lines that if you go too far, like you cross a line, like there's one you play to where you're either really extremely faith based, faith based, and it's like, dark ages like 1100s going after the witches and like people who are non-believers the other one is you go straight up fascist and like a propaganda and like prison culture and something is just entire capitalistic prisons and the other is napoleonic revolution france (laughs) a guillotining people like it just kind of like and you can tell there's moments like oh did you cross the line to survive did you save your humanity and that's a big aspect of playing it but that, and I don't figure didn't figure this game would stand up on its own. But also, I think this is also one thing I like about that is 
somewhere I can just kind of turn it on, just kind of sit back and relax and let it go and just kind of marinate in it. For sure. And I think that Ben is right that this does atmosphere a lot better than some at- atmosphere of black metal does. Um, so I can see the merit in that and, you know, maybe a point where here's what I would I would say, like, if you want to listen to My Dying Bride, but you don't like death metal. Right. <laughs> um, you could you could probably listen to this and like wallow in it for quite a while. I want to be sad for no specific reason. So <laughs> cool. We're in tracks, I guess, or. Seems like a good time to me. All of them? I mean, this is really an all or nothing kind of deal, I think, at this point. I'm not convinced there are distinct tracks, as Gabe said. Uh, I mean, 100%. I think it's sort of just moot. Yeah. And uh, it's not structured that way. Especially hearing that it's randomized. I'm like, okay, I see. So it's just happening. So. Yeah, this feels like a thing where it's like, okay, you have to have tracks of a certain length because we are going to randomize it. We can't have anything over that for like memory on the disc or whatever really. so. uh, it looks like the longest track is four minutes at 30 uh, 41 seconds 42 seconds so i mean they're all three fifty to 440 yeah but it is like there is slightly enough differentiation and variation to where you're it doesn't be kind of like you know invisible like you pay notice you notice it throughout the game i mean you know maybe if i had a classical show or a jazz show on a NPR College Station. I could tell you a lot of difference between these tracks, but I don't, and therefore cannot. So I cannot say <laughs> any or all of them. But you can say take the ride or not. I don't know that I want to take the ride for the full forty minutes, but yeah, sure, okay, take the ride. If, if you, like <laughs> I said, if you want to be bummed out for no specific reason, this is the album for you. Yeah, I mean, I would say the same exact thing. Like, if you want to take the ride, like. I mean, Go it's ahead, not I like a, just like kind of maybe, but it's like it almost doesn't matter. Just listen to this album during the first major snowstorm that you sit that you go through this year. <laughs> well, the other thing is like listening it to it front to back is kind of artificial too, because when you're playing the game, right, Tracy, you right. said it just goes randomly. Like that doesn't give you the true experience. So I'm assuming a, it's I'm assuming it's random. Like I don't see why it would be any specific certain track that would play in order. Like I don't, I would like I don't see a pointing it being any more than random. Yeah, I mean, if this is a sandbox game, that it probably isn't because it would. Again, thinking of like old school video games back when I was a video game mm-hmm. um, player, they would be the soundtrack would be key to events, or it would just be something that played over the entire time. Would like it would be a level. Like fucking Mario had level music, so each level had its own soundtrack. And this doesn't seem like it's done in that way because it's much more open box than that. Sandbox is a a very good term that is actually used yeah. to kind of describe stuff like that. Yes, speaker box. Level eleven. Yeah, I kind of wish you had ch- chosen the Tech Nine album, but that's neither here nor there. Me too. Me too. <laughs> we, uh, we had we had rap, and I was like, you know, orchestra, let's do it. Now, yes, we had Dr. Hind, Cordy C. David. Remember, there's nothing done. No, I thought you meant like on this splash. You mean like in the world. In the world of Thunderdome. In the world of Thunderdome. One time. So But But we had never talked about orchestral music like this. So You mean David Townsend? 
This is this is all strings. There's not a single electric instrument in this entire thing. I do, well, are you I, sure I think I disagree that? with that. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I, I think there was. I think there was some sense in. I don't think somewhere. the. I don't think the Warsaw Philharmonic rang this out. I mean, it yeah. sounds pretty good, but I yeah. don't know, man. And that's a a claim we can neither prove nor disprove at this point. Uh, which brings us to Gabe's pick. Some space rock with Hawkwind's fifth studio album, released on May 9th of 1975, Warrior on the Edge of Time. <laughs> Recorded in Rockfield Studios in Monmouth and mixed at Olympic Studios in London. It's a runtime of 47 minutes and 44 seconds. Um, released on three different labels, depending on where in the world it was released. It was produced by Hawkwind. I don't think it was all of them, but that is what it's credited as. Um, Hawkwind was, at the time, Dave Brock on guitars, keyboards, vocal and bass guitars on Opa Loca, he played bass. Nick Turner, saxophone, flute, and vocals. Lemmy of Motorhead fame, bass guitar for most of the album, and vocals on Motorhead, the track on which Motorhead is named after. Simon House on violin, Mellotron, and BCS3 keyboards. Simon King, drums and percussion. Alan Powell, drums and percussion. With additional personnel, Michael Moorcock, who provided vocals on The Wizard, Blew His Horn, and Warriors. In an album that is very loosely, well, that might be too strong, is loosely based on Hawkwind's, I mean, the Hawkwind's, on Michael Moorcock's fantasy writing. On what? Michael Moorcock's fantasy writing. Got it. The Eternal Champion. Yes. Um, Elric of Melanborn. <laughs> um, so I chose this because I was trying to think of an album that was heavy but not metal that I got into before I started really digging into metal at all uh, that had something to do with metal and that metalheads might like. I think I heard this maybe around like 2010 or so, somewhere around then. I was in graduate school. I was working at the radio station. Maybe people were talking about this band or maybe, I think it was around this time too when I started kind of digging into Krautrock a little bit. Um, so there is some crossover there between his spacey stuff and like, you know, the cosmic music that the Germans were producing in the the seventies. But yeah, I listened to this back then and I thought it was pretty cool. And I really haven't touched it at all since I was like listening to it back then, but I remembered finding it pretty fun uh, and interesting, even though, you know, Krautrock still isn't like, you know, I don't always like that kind of thing and I don't always, you know, go in for psychedelic stuff. What's also interesting is that this is not the first time Michael Moorcock has showed up on our little round table here. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought it would be interesting to bring it in uh, as a, you know, potential candidate for something that non-metalheads might like. Or, or sorry, that metalheads would like that isn't strictly metal. Well, it is definitely on the other side of the spectrum as far as like, sparseness and lushness and 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 everything well the redheaded stranger album that came out the same year i was gonna i know i love that it came out the same year yeah you know it is it, it's, it's very interesting because like i don't listen to a whole lot of space rock other than i guess like the early clutch which is kind of space rock but like heavier um so there was some stuff on here that i liked but it is also just like so strange and of its time um, and and also like Zomboy, incredibly British. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> Tell me more. Well, you know, it's just like you know, I I was like, man, this is like watching 
and not that I'm a huge Doctor Who fan anyway, but this is like watching the early Doctor Who, where it's a Doctor Who, where it's like, okay, you like got two dollars and these items around. How do we make a villain out of it? Here's a plunger. Well, I would go with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to like say that, but no, it's just like the sensibilities, like the the sensibilities, not only of Michael Moorcock's fantasy writing, but like just the conception of what a space opera is, is, is so not what an American would have written even around the same time. Um, and it's cool because of that and different, uh, you know, it is like watching, you know, it's your cousin across the sea for lack of a better term, but incredibly dysfunctional also like in the recording and the band composition. And you can't really, I don't, I didn't think you could tell that in listening to it, but in like doing what little reading on it, I did. I was like, wow. <laughs> oh, the way the band talks about this is devastating. Yeah. Lemmy is all of them are super dismissive. Like we were we'd really already peaked and just kind of dialed it in. And like it yeah. was I it's been a long time since I'd read such like hateful shit about a band talking about their own fucking album. It was very confusing to me. It was when we talked about that one Guar album from last year. Like not yes. that came out last year, but when we did Guar Blast last year. That was two years ago, by the way. Was it two years ago? I guess. Yeah, right let's just let it be. Let's last. just let it be last year, Tracy. Let's 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 do the time warp, okay? <laughs> okay. No, okay. I'm not ready to accept our, that it was two years ago. I know we were not quite warriors on the edges of time as we hope to be, but no, not yet. We, we fucking are now. No. I fucking love this album, and I, I of course you did. I was I was here for it. I was listening to it. It's, it's, it's most part a good week. Mostly. Tracy yeah. listens exclusively to the all spoken word tracks just on the loop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, did. he just listens to the wizard blew his horn like 20 times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I put that shit on loop. Sorry, Tracy. I think he's got a painting of that back behind him. I'm not sure. I think he does too. <laughs> Close. Um, <laughs> screw you guys. He just... <laughs> ends the recording. Sorry, man. <laughs> yeah. But. This album was fun. Now I was, I've looked at like I hit the Spotify, you know, because typically a back date stuff when it came out, and it says September like twenty fifteen. I was like, oh mm-hmm. fuck, this does not sound like a twenty fifteen album. And then I was like, oh, nineteen seventy five. Mine too. Sense. It's twenty thirteen. That was when yeah, it was re released, and they mm-hmm. it sounds gorgeous, especially because they does. got the original masters. Uh-huh. But it took me a second. I thought it was initially a retro band. What kind of weird retro shit is this? And I look it up. I'm like, oh, I thought it was too. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm definitely here for it. But From thousands of years ago. There's, there's just enough of Flash Gordon in this. To just, just like, here we go. Woo-hoo. Oh, 100%. And, Flash. Um, ah. don't, don't remember, this is like the third appearance of Michael Moorcock in our podcast. Because remember Sears and Ghouls, Sears, King Sarah's of the Gold, uncle. Yeah. King of the Undead or whatever? That's a direct like album cover. was like, it's a book cover. Your book cover. I think all their F-Series Ungles albums are Illic from his books. Maybe. I don't know. I've only listened to the one. I've listened to like three, and they've been Illic. So speaking of this, and please, wherever you listen to Upcovers, when you listen to this episode, go look at the album art, because we'll have all four album covers. But you can tell that this was from the Age of Vinyl. A quote from Wikipedia, the original album sleeve unfolds into a large shield shape, revealing that a silhouetted warrior or silhouetted warrior is standing at the edge of an apparently bottomless chasm. 
The landscape on the other side of the chasm is a mirror image with another setting sun. A closer inspection of this entire image reveals a helmeted face. The reverse of the cover depicts a bronze shield carrying the eight-rayed emblem of chaos as described in more comics books. Jesus Christ. Well, that's not what I have here <laughs> looking at my iPhone. <laughs> like, I've got a poster. Yeah, that's a, that's a poor substitute right there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, unless you happen to be, you know, with the right pharmacology. And then in that case, um, Bob's your uncle. So, <laughs> yeah, like the entire front and back side of it, just all together for one image. It's, that is intense. I mean, hell, the front cover is trippy enough as is. Like, what do you need more for it? <laughs> it's too intense. <laughs> yeah, dude. Just, just uh, an element of a bygone age. What about you, David? I was into this because I like weird shit and I like British shit and, you know, I like clutch. <laughs> There's some over the little bit of overlap there and orange goblin and those kinds of things. And in terms of stoner rocks roots, the Lenny thing was super cool. When I found out about it, I was not an enormous fan of the spoken word tracks. <laughs> I, I, I feel. Don't some, lie, David. Don't some, lie. I mean, uh, they're on loop right now. No, I feel like some economy there might have been warranted. It's just moving. You can tell it grew from. You can totally tell it grew from the same soil as like you know Deep Purple and Black Sabbath. Like that overlap was quite clear to me. Actually, I'm not to say this is quite on that level, but it's Ra Rainbow. Is that the other one we did? We did another yeah. one that was from this yeah. like. Yeah, this actually reminded me a whole lot, and I can see those connections, of course, um, but was like a more out there um, Pink Floyd. Sure. Mm. You know, or like early Pink Floyd back when they were super duper psychedelic, just because of like just the sheer fucking scope of this. I mean, it was it's, it's hubris, hubristically like ambitious. Yeah, and uh, I just saw the group chat of what that entire album like the LP packaging turned I into. I got, I got to look at that. Okay, me too. Oh, Holy that is moly. that is amazing. I really do think you have that on your fucking wall behind you, Trace. Dear <laughs> Lord, I would put that on my wall behind me. That is thing. actually pretty badass. I'm gonna... Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I do have an Epic Fantasy. This one. It is behind almost... me. That's Epic Fantasy yeah. book, but. Well, shit, y'all. That is not how it looked on my iPhone. No. That's when we got but like, without my iPhone, would I have it? Absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. No, it's when absolutely we get like the, not. the upper corner. So I would not this. even know this existed. Yep. It's a reminder of the enormous amount of music from the before time. I'm glad some of it made it to the streaming universe. I'm sure there's a ton of bands like this that just vanished. Yeah. Right. Wrong label. Well, I mean, I would. I've heard of Hawkwind and like I've heard a track of theirs once or twice, but it was only because Wimmy was in it that I knew about it. Okay. Is that how you found it, Gabe? No. Um, like oh. I said, I think this was like this is before I even started listening to metal, really. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it kind of had to do with some crossover between like this and and sort of Krautrock. Like you can hear some oh, gotcha. some of that like motoric um in there. Mm -hmm. I forget what track it is exactly, but, and there's another thing I want to point out when we do tracks, but like, it was sort of that uh, aspect, sort of the psychedelic and the kind of experimental end of it um, that was interesting to me, which, you know, 
Germans were getting pretty deep into around the same exact time. Mm-hmm. The Germans. It's the Germans. Yeah, they definitely don't make stuff like this. Or um, um, let me rephrase that. Somebody probably is. I'm not aware of it. Um, the flute. The flute. I mean, flute, seriously, <laughs> dude, the violin uh, is killer on this too. Yeah, like it's it's really like top shelf. That really kind of makes me want to go back and maybe we'll do a, a blast or discography uh, mm-hmm. blast or another grab and put some of this in. Because just like David referenced, the way that they just shit on this album, it makes me want to listen to the albums before that they actually considered good. <laughs> me too. I'm like, if this is you shit dialing yeah, this it is in, bad. What, like, what were the yeah, other I mean, ones like? Maybe, maybe part of it too is like the bombast of it all, and like the, sure. you know, the Michael Moorcock like reciting like poetry, like it's uh, I don't know the most important thing in the universe. It, and it is giving off serious Spinal Tap vibes. So much reverb on his voice. Stonehenge. <laughs> yeah, Stonehenge. David would be crushed by a dwarf. I mean, it's... Um, it's kind of self-important, but, like, it's also just, like, I don't know. It's 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 trying to be out there, and it got there, you know? Like, I think they succeeded on some level. There's, man, there's just so much information on this. I mean, like, Opalaka yeah, so is named after the town where Powell lived in Florida. <laughs> Amazing. Let me was like, that's the drummer shit. Fucking drummer. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even playing on that one. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is the society that produced the prisoner and Yes. In terms of just like totally absurd Zardos. My God. If any of you have seen that insane shit with how do you even explain the plot of that? I don't even know where to start. The point is, um, when they do dystopic, weird, future synthiness, they go hard, and the results yeah. of this album. Amazing, yes, yeah. that's what it is. Makes me want to bring in some King Crimson. Have you ever seen they've clipped the um, Venture Brothers? That's, a, that's another good comp too. Yeah, of of, of the Venture some... Brothers. The Venture Brothers. Yep, that's that's like, how you, you were birthed, Tracy. Is how <laughs> where this you, where, do you your, where do you get your evil genius from? Frog, frog, what's this one? No, 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 you're too young for that one. <laughs> yes, the episode where they lock them in the birthing pods and make them listen to King Crimson albums, just how it should be. But this is was cool, um, unexpected, not something that I, you know, I don't know what I was expecting from Hawkwind, but it because I knew that they were a psychedelic band, but I, I was not expecting this. The question, Tracy, for you is, is this good prog or bad prog? I liked it, it's good prog. Okay, I'm always for. I'm always down for some, like you said, some Doctor Who, Wibbly Wobbly, Tommy Wimey, trip shit. Let's go for it. <laughs> Take me on a journey. I love it. <laughs> I want that fucking. I gotta find that record. <laughs> just get the fucking thing. Yeah, man. this hole right here. That's your tattoo, Tracy. Just fall back. That's it. Oh, that would actually not suck. You might we need to get you like a 1973 Sprinter van or something and paint that shit on the side too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're painting the side, but the back windows are with the, the suns, so you have yeah. like it's running down the edge. <laughs> so it, it opens and closes. Yeah, that'd <laughs> yes. be pretty awesome. Nice. The cabin's right in the middle of it. I, I'd do it. Yeah. Cool. Tracks. Sure. It's got them. Sure do. Take the ride. Yeah, take the ride. Take the ride. The one track that I want to shout out that I think is really, really cool and probably one of my favorites is Magnu. It's uh, side two track one. 
it sounds like if you guys ever listen to uh, Silver Apples. I think so. No. Yeah, listen to Silver Apples. It sounds like that. <laughs> but I mean, it's not um, obviously not the same thing. Yeah, that song kicks ass. But I actually I don't I don't think that all of the spoken tracks are created equal and are not all terrible. Like I actually really like Warriors, but I kind of always wanted to skip the Wizard Blue is Horn. <laughs> yeah. The Wizard Blue is Horn is kind of like, you know, the beginning of a LARP. So uh, it's the beginning it also of the comes really early in the album, I feel like. And well, I think it's the second track digitally, but it was the third track on the album. Mm, sure. The Salt and Battery and the Golden Void were considered two different tracks, even though they're combined, at least on Spotify, where I listened. Yeah, Apple, I too. Guess, I guess is it just there's not really a transition between them and just kind of bleeds into another? Is that yeah, why? probably. I mean, I don't I mean, know. They did this shit with the Black Sabbath albums. It's like, here's four tracks and one track, and you're like, what? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I will say that, like, I would agree, take the ride. Um, my favorite one is one that was not canonically on the original release, though, because I do love the version of Motorhead that's on here. Like, and after I listened to it, I wouldn't listen to Motorhead's version of Motorhead just to kind of, like, hear how it amps up. But it, I can also see why it wasn't include, included on the vinyl release, not only because they fired him the day before that this was supposed to be released, but because it's very different from most of the other stuff on the album. And you can kind of tell he was going in a different musical direction. Oh, it doesn't fit at all. I mean, like he's playing, he's playing rock and roll and they're like, you know, they're playing (laughs) spaceships. Like (laughs) it's like (laughs) totally like different universes that you have. Why do you have your, what is is this blues? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Good times. Well, I think it might be time to grade this time. I believe so. It is. Gentlemen, Will Nelson and the Redheaded Stranger, Benjamin. Um, A plus. This is like one of my top 10 albums of all time, metal or non-metal. When I started buying vinyl, this was one of the first albums that I tracked down and bought. So A plus is for me. I'm going to give this a solid B. It's pretty well done, but I think it just kind of get repetitive at times with this constant theme of the preacher. And there was something about just hearing that just as I am, I was like, Mm-mm, nope, 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 nope. Bad memories. So I'm just like, nope, but it is solid overall. I want to come in just below you, Tracy, at an 82. I think I kind of voiced my concerns about this earlier, which is basically just the track economy is off. And I feel like it needs more of uh, Willie Nelson's songwriting because some of the best songs on the record are ones that he didn't write. Um, but one of the best ones is only a minute long unfortunately uh i'm gonna take us back up a bit again uh i loved the spartan sound of this i thought the story was devastating well executed it isn't my genre and i do agree that sort of sermonistic mechanism of repeating it was an interesting choice and i guess it worked but it it, it felt like it was a little overused anyway i'm gonna give it an a minus it's good shit though all right that gets an average of 89 i would buy this album just for if I was booked by country album, it's probably one of the first ones to buy. Ben obviously would buy it. David, I guess. So yeah, I would. That's would good shit. A Gabe purchase, would it? No, I don't think so. But I do like some of the, those tracks on the back half. Yeah. All right. Down boy, yeah, the no. outbreak, twenty twenty, the precursor. I fucking love this record, and I don't care if you don't. No, I'm gonna give this. this uh, <laughs> I'm gonna give this an A. I know it's about to come way down. The dean's gonna be very pleased. 
I'm gonna give it a B minus an 81. Man, there's just a lot of filler in my opinion on this album, so I'm gonna give it a D plus. I'm not gonna go D's quite get that. degrees. D's do get degrees. Um, I'm not gonna go quite that low just because I do like a few tracks on this, and I feel like if you're a fan of the genre, you're gonna like this. Um, if you're a metalhead, I'm not so sure. Uh, so I'd give this a C plus. Gives us an average of 81. Would you buy this album? I did. This is long enough ago that that's the only way albums happened. I did buy it. I'd buy it again. I don't think I would. You're a coward. I'd buy like a single. Yeah, I'd buy a couple (laughs) singles off of it, but not. Yeah, that's me. I'd buy a couple singles, but I wouldn't buy the album. All right. Frostpunk, the original soundtrack by Pitoon Musial. I'm going to give this an A in 94. And ready for the the F to start rolling in. Just steamrolling it. I'm not going to give it an F. It's just uh, steam minus. Um, I it does what it's supposed to do. I don't think that there's a whole lot there to grab on to, like for everyday listening, because uh, it is it's a soundtrack album. It is the it is the fucking definition of background music. <laughs> Did you say C minus? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you said C minus or D minus. I think I'm going to come up just a little bit from that. I'm going to give it a C because you could basically have a couple of these tracks and just loop them and it would maybe be the same effect without the game. So I'm not saying that, you know, this, the soundtrack needs to come with the game. Of course, the game has to come with a soundtrack. But uh, for what it is, it works. And uh, that said, like, I don't think I would remember this. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there are definitely soundtracks out there where, um, you know, they really grab you and they really pull you uh, pull you in to the extent that you really want to go back and listen to this stuff. This, I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. I can't decide, so I'll just split the difference and give it a C slash C minus, so 72.5. It's for all the reasons they said. I mean, it's perfectly fine. It's quite bleak. I'm sure it does the job, but it really is sort of background music. It's got some pretty moments in the instrumentation. It's okay, but mm-hmm. you give it a C, C minus. Because I couldn't a, decide between a C minus and a C. Is it a seventy-eight? Um, I buy this one. I think it's safe to say neither I would not buy this at all. Nah. Hawkwind, Warrior on the Edge of Time. Well, I'm gonna start us off maybe with the high grade tonight of ninety-two. I'm gonna come down a little bit for you. I'm gonna give it an a minus as well, but I'm gonna give it a ninety. I don't know. There are a few things that didn't really the spoken word kind of distracting, but uh, I thought this was quite enjoyable and interesting and pretty fun. I'm going to give this a solid B. I'm also going to give this a B. Awesome. This is an average of 88. Would you buy this album, gentlemen? Yeah, I might, especially for that cover. I for need sure. that night helmet. I'd only buy it. on vinyl, though. Yes, this is only on vinyl. I'd, I'd buy it twice, one to have to listen to, and one to put up on the wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I'd buy it, too. That that alone warrants it being bought. So, so that was the third rendition of yep. non-metal music for perfect non-metal music for metalheads. Our next grab bag is going to be courtesy of David, and he gave us a very Aunt Tifa um, metal with left wing politics as yep. a goal. So that should be fun and interesting. Going to be a lot of stuck mojo and some uh, five finger death punch. That's so. what I'm thinking as well. Just Indeed. to be counterculture and just push it on this. 
but that should be fun. Won't piss off nobody. I mean, Paul Ryan listens to it. So it's, yep. you know, you know, it's he, clearly, he clearly gets the message. He clearly gets it. He gets me. Anyway, I'm excited. Hooray. Huzzah. 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 Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And tune in next week on Thunderdome Metal Reviews. Broken Bacall. Broken Bacall.